just starting our morning rounds here at the Trust. It's a cold, frosty morning here. I'm just looking up at three red kites. Beautiful, beautiful birds. That golden morning light is just hitting those reddish feathers. And they just glide so effortlessly. One or two wing beats and they're off. That characteristic forked tail just trimming that flight. Just amazing. In recent years, the red kite has made a phenomenal comeback to our British skies. So much so that there's seldom a day that goes by that I don't spot one floating loftily in the skies above me. And I'm sure if you too have a keen eye for the birds, you could say the same. But how did these fascinating and beautiful birds of prey make it back from the brink of extinction in the UK? And how might we best protect them into the future? Hello, I'm Tom Morath, and this is Nature's Ahoot, the podcast from the Hawk Conservancy Trust. I'm on a mission to find out more about the rise and fall of the crimson king of the skies, the red kite. Let's start at the beginning of this story. The red kite's place in the ecosystem as a scavenger earned it a place also in medieval English society by royal decree. Their highly prized ability to clear the streets of carrion and discarded food meant that persecuting kites could be punishable by death. In the early 1600s, Shakespeare wrote in A Winter's Tale when the kite builds, look to lesser linen. A nod to the resourceful and somewhat mischievous antics of one of our largest native raptors. Kites have been known to steal man-made items to line their nest, like the classic magpie pinching shiny trinkets. This inclusion by Shakespeare probably means that red kites were in good numbers, at least a population healthy enough for 17th century, more than a bit tipsy, Londoners to appreciate his reference in any case. So, what happened? From boom to bust, this smart and agile scavenger, which seemed to dominate the city skies, somehow disappeared to worryingly low numbers in England and across the UK. The answer lies in part in persecution and in part in farming practices. It's a sad fact that by the time Shakespeare wrote those words, the red kite population was so dense they had already begun being labelled as vermin and were subsequently persecuted. As they were so often mistaken for a bird who might attack or predate upon livestock or even game birds, farmers and gamekeepers alike often made an enemy of them, and by the mid-1800s they were considered a rarity. This only boosted their value to taxidermists and egg collectors, further cementing their sorry fate. By the late 1800s, the species was considered extinct in England and Scotland, with all but a handful of birds still surviving in Wales. If we go back, red kites were lost from England in about the 1870s, I think, in Shropshire, right. the last breeding pair in Scotland probably about the same time, 1870s, 1880s. They were just pretty much a remnant population in that eastern side of central Wales. Dr Matt Stevens 
is our conservation biologist at the Hawk Conservancy Trust. He spends countless hours monitoring bird populations, researching the habitats they live in, and helping to develop workable solutions to protect them. He has a passion for birds, which makes sense given his job role, and he plays a key part in understanding the population of red kites as it is today. I asked Matt a little about the threats that once faced red kites and how they're doing today. They were common birds, they were just everywhere, they were all around houses, all around buildings, around cities, across the landscape. Um, but I think from, from various things I've read it was assumed that increase and improvement in sanitation meant there was no need for that to happen any longer so um, they weren't looked on quite so favorably because they were taking things that people had an interest in sure. so various species that were hunted and taken as game birds once there's a conflict of a species taking something that we have an interest in that species doesn't really stand much chance so probably the main driver of a decline was persecution when you get to about the 1920s when perhaps there's a bit more of an interest in looking at birds people started to realize that oh, actually we've got quite a nice species but it's not doing very well we're, we're, there's a chance we'll lose it and then um, there were more and more efforts throughout the, the early 20th century to try and do something about that but it really wasn't till about I think it was the 1980s when the reintroduction started. The overall reintroduction programme is one of the most successful reintroduction projects in the UK. And it's also one of the longest running continuous conservation projects in the world. It started in the Chilterns, so sort of M40 corridor, Stoke and Church Way, uh, identifying an area that would be suitable for, for a reintroduction. Um, and it's got to meet lots of different principles um, in terms of suitable area and suitable potential for them to um, generate a sustainable self-sustaining population and and that area of the of England especially was deemed pretty good so birds brought over from Spain started in late 1980s and birds released um, I think it was the start of the 90s before it actually became a, a, a decent project of birds actually being released and from there it's just gone from strength to strength it's, it's quite remarkable really in those well what's that 30 years since then now they're pretty much everywhere there have been other releases I think there's been nine different releases including here at the Trust we've played our own little part in supplementing the population of red kites that increase in the population has been incredible and it's just from from being a kid in the East Midlands and not even seeing buzzards now Cambridgeshire and North you'll see them you'll see red kites because there there's been a release there um, releases in Yorkshire the Black Island Scotland uh, around the northeast as well um, and now those population those different release populations are starting to merge together if you like yes. and we're getting more of an overspill of birds from the Chilterns now spreading all the way down through Berkshire and Hampshire and you can now see birds in Kent, you can see them in Dorset, so yeah, it's, it's really fantastic stuff. On first glance, you'd be forgiven for thinking that the red kite is some ultimate predator of the animal kingdom. After all, this is a bird of prey. It has a 1.5 metre wingspan and is equipped with talons. But the red kite has a preference for food a little closer to its use-by date. 
Red kites like carrion. That's what they're evolved to take. That's what they're adapted for. That's what they take mainly. They will also take uh, invertebrates, so beetles and earthworms. So you'll often see them on the fields, on ground during the winter. Uh, but also if you see a field that's being cut for silage, particularly in Hampshire and Berkshire, within about half an hour of them starting cutting, you'll see 20 or 30 red kites overhead. So the big, the big reason is probably the abundance of carrion on the roads. And that's probably partly to do with us. Lots of cars, lots of things being hit sadly, lots of carrion. So they're exploiting that niche in the same way that buzzards have started to come back with their protection as well, doing the same thing. So both species are still doing very well. One of the concerns was that with an increasing uh, red kite population, there'd be a detrimental impact on buzzards. But the work that we did showed that both of those species are increasing. So there hasn't been a, a, a consequent decline in buzzards as, a, as, a, as, as the red kite population has increased. It's good to know that buzzards are also doing well within our study area. But what does the resurgence of kite numbers mean for the rest of the ecosystem? And do these birds have an impact? The fact that you've got more predators, or scavengers, carrion eaters, eating more stuff that's available in the environment means that something is going to miss out from taking that stuff potentially or there might just be such a surplus that it doesn't have any effect we don't really know but i think it's difficult to answer that question without first taking a step back and saying well the stuff that's in the environment has taken a knock from our activities in the first place so you have to look at our impact on that environment first before then assessing the impact of something that was there in abundance before and is just coming back to its abundance. An increasing number of red kites is good news to most, but perhaps understandably, for some there's a nervousness about having them living in such close proximity to our homes. So do we need to be worried? All the birds that come through the hospital, when they've been rehabilitated and released and they're fit and well for release, we fit them with BTO rings in case they're rediscovered again. So if they're readmitted to the hospital following another incident, another accident or another um, illness, we've got information then about when they were previously with us. Or if, sadly, the birds are found dead, we've got some information from when we released it and how long it's taken for those birds to be found. The reason for saying mentioning the ringing is that obviously those birds are kept in rehabilitation aviaries at the trust. And going in there to handle the birds, you get a feel for how aggressive certain birds are. A buzzard will lie on its back with its talons out waiting for you. <laughs> They're quite aggressive. Kestrels are very aggressive. But a red kite will just flop on the ground and do nothing. It will almost as if it's playing dead. Head down, you can pick it up. It has very little talon strength. Its grip strength is really quite poor. Its beak strength is also quite poor. So I'm quite happy if a red kite grips me with its talons because it doesn't actually damage me in any way. It doesn't hurt, it doesn't cause any problems. And so thinking about that in the wider environment, they're really unable to carry big things. They can't, they won't attack things for no reason because why would you do that? Why would you put yourself at risk when any scratch, puncture, injury is gonna cause your death? Why would you do that? Why would you put yourself at risk? So although they're very inquisitive, they might treat us in the same way that lots of other uh, species do, almost like we're cattle. And there's potential that we might disturb invertebrates or might disturb small mammals 
and, and it might provide them an opportunity to take those as well. So people shouldn't be scared of them. They're just, you should almost see it as something quite joyous to have one so close to you and be able to look at it properly. And what I should say also is one of the reasons, aside from the potential role of us in disturbing food sources for them to come down and take, there's a bit of a trend towards putting out meat for red kites in, in urban areas. Probably because people like seeing these birds close, but also people want to take photos of them and a good way of getting them down is to provide a food source for them to come down to. But you have to see the other side of the story that if you make a species um, accustomed to coming down close to humans to take stuff, it's then going to lose its fear of humans. So We wouldn't recommend no there's no there's no need to there's plenty of food in the environment so why why bother doing that why but potentially introduce a behavior that could bring about a negative impact on a species that we've worked so hard to bring back in the first place it just doesn't make sense to me sure. so yeah, um, i can understand why people do it but it's perhaps best if they don't now although we work together matt spends so much time in the field monitoring wild birds that he and i seldom get a chance to chat I wanted to really get to know him, to understand what motivates him, what gets him up in the morning, to know the real Matt. Time for some serious questioning and investigative journalism. So my super scientific investigative journalism question is, if you were a bird of prey, <laughs> which species of bird of prey would you think you would be and why? Well, and the temptation would be to say Kestrel, just because I'm so fascinated with kestrels and I enjoy working with kestrels but that's a bit cheesy and a bit too straightforward if I if I think about my own personality it would have to be something well people at the trust here will probably agree with me if I said something like solitary eagle because right. <laughs> that's you know a species in in the neotropics from Mexico down through Central America and northwestern South America that is renowned for being a bit of a loner <laughs> so so I'd probably say that. That that would fit, yeah. Come to think of it, I can definitely see Matt as a solitary eagle. A preference as a sort of lone ranger for birds of prey. Hard to find, seldom seen by others, and often threatened by human disturbance. So, red kites have bounced back better than anyone could have hoped. But with ongoing threats, including persecution in some parts of the UK, particularly in Scotland, I was keen to know what Matt thinks the future looks like for this beautiful bird of prey. Well, current population in the UK is estimated at about 4,500 pairs. That's just going to keep growing because there's still plenty of food available. There's still plenty of areas that they haven't expanded into. There's still plenty of potential nest sites. So I think more than likely they'll go the same way as buzzards have and ended up recolonising recolonizing recolonizing most of the country just because it's there it's available the resources are there for them to do that and i don't see a problem with that i don't see that there'll be an issue associated with that happening in europe it's a slightly different tale if anything we're, our population's going up and theirs are going down and to an extent where birds have actually been exported from the uk to help supplement european populations now so, so the other way around so the other way around yeah so we're <laughs> Thanks to help from European partners in getting birds here, we can repay that favour and, and bring about, hopefully, a, a, a resurgence in the population in, the Europe, in Europe as well. 
We're very proud that our project played an important role in the Red Kite reintroduction programme. Between 2003 and 2005, the Hawk Conservancy Trust released 12 red kites into the wild. Today, we have a team of valued volunteers who walk set survey routes across our study area and record sightings of red kites and other birds of prey. The data from these surveys enable us to estimate how many red kites live within that area and how the population changes over time. This information is vital if we want to develop programmes to better protect them into the future or when thinking about undertaking similar carefully considered reintroduction programmes. As Matt explains, our work with red kites is far from done. We are interested in doing lots of interesting things with red kites, exploring those potential interactions with other species, with other native species. So that project has been extended into a larger area. So now it covers all eight counties of southeastern England and we have volunteers out walking these surveys um, during the spring and again in the autumn. The idea is to generate population estimates of the number of individuals, not just number of pairs, number of individual birds, because the problem with just focusing on pairs means that there might be a large floating population which don't actually engage in nesting right. and we want to know how many there are so this project is aimed at determining population sizes and the change in population and range expansion of certain species across the southeast so that extends from Oxfordshire and uh, the sort of Buckinghamshire Northamptonshire border all the way down to Kent so it's yeah eight counties it's pretty, expensive. it's pretty good we've got about 30 volunteers walking transects for us walking surveys um, and we've been doing that since 2017 so we're five years into that um, entering our sixth year we should be producing something from it soon uh, but <laughs> finding time to do that yeah, is also takes, difficult yeah time. yeah so there it is the red kite a species we humans have had a somewhat rocky history with but whose presence in our British sky is now largely beloved. With the successful reintroduction and the support of ongoing research work, they've taken back their rightful place, both in the UK's ecosystems and in the hearts of wildlife lovers across the country. I mean, who doesn't enjoy looking up into a summer sky and watching a red kite circling, wings perfectly set on a thermal, with that forked tail trimming their flight to take them skyward. Pure bliss, I'm sure you'll agree. Next time, I'll be investigating vultures. The all-important role they play in their ecosystems, their less-than-savoury eating habits, and whether they really deserve the ugly label we so often give them. A big thanks to Matt, for giving up his time to talk to me all about the red kite. If you want to know more about the work we do to conserve red kites and many other species of birds of prey, you can find out more on our website, hawk-conservancy.org. Lots more bird of prey content can also be found on our social media pages. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok. <laughs>